When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, it's Film Study with Ken McCusick. It's still looking back at Week 13. We're going to take a look at the offense performance this time, which means this is the Lamar Jackson episode as the score was 26-16, to 16, Ravens over the Falcons down in Atlanta. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? You recovered from Atlanta? Life's good, Josh. A little head cold, but otherwise good. Yeah, all right, that's good. Um, this is going to be a different – I know we're going, to, we're going to have to talk about – we're going to look back at the offense, but we're going to have to talk about the fact that Lamar will be the quarterback in Kansas City. And as much as we were saying – it seems like everything with Lamar, each game's another test. And you went from a dome game in Atlanta to now in the bitter cold in Kansas City? Yeah, I, I haven't looked at what the weather's like for the games. Can you give us any update on that? Is that uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pull that up. I know that okay. I know that they asked Lamar Jackson today in the press conference. It was a little I didn't I didn't recognize the voice, so it wasn't Coleman. But um uh the question was about his ball control and playing in cold games. And Lamar's answer was, he's never played in a game as cold as it was in Baltimore today. 
And wow. I, and I know in Kansas City, it's going to be colder. Yeah, so the SEC, you know, it doesn't have a lot of cold weather schools, obviously, but, they, you know, you can go north to Tennessee or someplace like that, and you might have to play in some sort of cold, and obviously you might you might play a game in the north otherwise. But uh, now, Kansas, now the Chiefs are in Kansas City, Missouri, right? That's correct. All right, not Kansas City, Kansas. That's right across the river, so you get probably the same weather, but yeah. All right, so on Sunday, oh, it's it's Baltimore weather, high of thirty five. Okay, so you Low know, not twenty four, not windy. Um, so no, not bad. It's they're it, not they're not windy is too bad. Windy would be very good. Uh, you know, right, Lamar Jackson, we're a running game. We're a running team. They are not. So yeah. or, or not as much anymore without Kareem Hunt. Right. I don't know how. Uh, how Arrowhead Stadium handles with the wind, but it, the, the, my little app says five mile per hour wind average for Sunday. That doesn't sound uh, very uh, intervening on right. behalf of the Ravens. So, so Joe is hurt. So we will do Joe Lamar comparisons because you have to, as it's the only way to evaluate the Ravens. But it's not really a quarterback controversy yet because Joe's still not healthy enough to really take charge of the game. No, I, it, it, he won't. I'm sure Lamar will start this game based on the fact that Joe was limited at practice today. Uh, you know, it's exciting in a lot of it ways. Is. You know, you, you, how you look at this Chiefs game, I think you can you can take a lot of different ways. But the Chiefs are an, a, an immense obstacle to the Ravens in the AFC if they make the playoffs. This is an opportunity to really determine not only if the Ravens and their defense can, can take care of the Chiefs at any level, but also to see if the Ravens with Lamar Jackson can stay on the same field right. with a team like the Chiefs. Right, and isn't that what – that's what really – I'm really excited about this game because you have the the top defense and the top offense in the league going head-to-head. So it, And it's a defense that we, we, we see the numbers, but they're hard to trust because we've also seen them kind of fall apart at times. Yeah, we, we have and seen not, them. And not be able to get off the field. Yeah, we have seen them fall apart. Now, one thing about the a good stat I saw just this last couple of days on Twitter was that the Ravens compared to the other teams on their opponent's schedule had given up 27% fewer points per game. So that it factors in the level of opponent right. they faced. And so they faced slightly above average offenses by about a little bit less than one point better than the league average in terms of scoring when you take out the Ravens games, and then they've only given up uh, you know, 17.8 points per game, and that's uh, been very good. So they are by far the best in the National Football League right. at that, uh, at 27% fewer points than their opponents' other games. Yeah, and I'm sure shutting the Falcons down to just 10 points a uh, high-powered offense like that definitely helped the Ravens' stats in that yeah, game. It'll, it'll count as 16, even though they did have a defensive touchdown in that okay, game. Okay, that, that yeah, still counts. counts when, so yeah. they still count those points against the defense. They do. They count them all. And, and I'm, I, you know, that's, I'm that's with you. That, I, I'm with you that I would count it differently. But points against is kind of a team total, and you, right. you people always seem to look at that. Whenever I want to compare the 2000 Ravens, I always point out that they gave up th- two defensive touchdowns. They're both special. Sorry. Interception returns to Tennessee during the regular season. They gave up the kickoff return to Dixon during the postseason. So of the 188 points they allowed, you really get down to 167 in 20 games or 8.35 points per game that was given up by the defense that year, which, you know, it's the point that everybody, anybody would think the 2000 Ravens defense is ever coming back again <laughs> is really crazy. Well, that was, that was 18 years ago. And, 
we got to remember, not only was that 18 years ago, football has changed. Look at the silly rules that we complain about that changed from last year to this year. And, and think about 18 years of that. It's a different game. Yeah, it, it sure is. I mean, quarterbacks were, were different in terms of their interception rates. They were different in terms of many other things. And all of the receiver protections have just gone sky high in the years right. since. And I, think, and I also think that's why what Lamar Jackson and the Ravens are doing right now is so exciting because it's different. And it's not the, the throw the ball as far as you can and, and the offensive uh, game that you've been seeing the past couple of years. It's, but, it's old school, run the ball, pound it out. Right. And, and you know what is you know what makes that exciting or at least what it makes it exciting to me, let me put it that way, is that it allows football to be a game of competing philosophies. If if football is only about who has the best quarterback or who can get the next Pat Mahomes or who can get the, the, the Tom Brady that uh, that'll lead them for 10 years or however long it will be, uh, you know, it's football then just becomes a game of very high variance draft picks. And that's not exciting. What's exciting is the is the opportunity to reshape your team to to meet one of several different philosophies that might be winning. You know, you can you can have a great defense and a great running ba- game, or maybe you can you know be run and shoot or whatever the, the you know the old offensive types would be, or you can be a great passing team if that's what you want to be, or you can have a mobile quarterback or not, or you know. But I want to see competing philosophies. I don't want to see one formula only that dominates the National Football League, and unfortunately. That's- all of the rule changes have gone in that direction. Right. That's interesting. I like that. I like that take on you do want to tweak the game as time goes on, and you want to tweak it not to favor offense or defense, but you're, you try to balance it. I like, I like that. Um, I think as a, as a baseball fan, it's the same thing. I want, when the, if the pitchers are dominating too much, you got to adjust a little bit and balance it out because you do. You want both sides kind of on an equal playing field. I like that. Yes. Yeah, very, very, very much so. And baseball historically always had to do that. And, and the, the long-term trend in baseball was that uh, pitchers caught up with hitters and, and got ahead of them. And that's, I think yes. we're going through that trend in baseball again. We but, are. You know, from between about 1930 when, when hitting peaked and the National League hit 303 in 1930, the Phillies finished in last place with a 315 team batting average. Uh, the the baseball th- until 1968 went through a series of adjustments and also the pitchers got better and better to the point where the pitching was just dominating to an absurd degree and they had to do a bunch of things including lowering the mound in 1969 and making other changes to to redefine the strike zone and whatnot so uh, it, it is normal to change your game and and to and to keep it in balance and whatnot and I think yes. I'm I'm okay with the protection rules for receivers, but the defense needs something else. They need the ability to maybe check the receiver for seven yards instead of five. They need the ability to do something else that gives the gives a defense more ability to play defense. Right, right, you're right. And baseball is going through that because they had they had the juice ball era that we refer to, where the batters were ahead. Now the pitchers are ahead again. So now right. the talk this off season is maybe changing up stuff with the shift. To give to kind of favor things back to balance it out. So well, baseball's going through that. Football, I think, is more focused on safety right now. But mm-hmm. at some point, they're going to have to look at that competitive balance. I, I think you can have both. I, I think you can you can do the things with safety, protect the receiver from being hit a certain way. You just have to give the defense something else maybe back that they didn't have. I mean, they loosened up the offensive rules in 1978 to say no bump and run coverage, only one bump and within five yards of the line of scrimmage. They can change that. They can change the distance 
to seven yards to 10 yards to, to, to something in between if that's appropriate. But they can create different rules for that. You can create different rules which prohibit downfield blocking or, or prohibit blocking of some type at the line of scrimmage, which are going to make the quarterback you know, more susceptible to getting sacked. You still won't take away the protections the quarterback has about getting hit low or getting hit in the head, but you, you, you can make it so that there are more sacks in the game. You know, there's just a lot of things they can do to, to, to do that. I'd like to see some other things which more favor run versus pass, some other rules along those lines. So maybe something that improves running offense and something that a different rule that coincidentally takes away from passing offense. Right. Well, the, the rule that they made, the big shift this year was with the kickoffs mm-hmm. or, and, 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 and how they were adjusting that. And if did you, were you reading this week that now the NFL, they're not happy with that yet. They still want it safer. So now they're asking for the fans' input on how they can make the, the kickoffs better. Really? Yeah, okay. No, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. They should go to Twitter and realize that's probably a wasted exercise. But if, if they're willing to sift through millions of, of people inputting value, they're going to find a few things that would be of use. But, you know, it's just I don't know that the fans are qualified to know what would make the game safer. Maybe there's some doctors out there who would, but, uh, but boy, it ain't me. And, uh, you know, what I'm seeing is the most boring play in football, that it, it tends to be more and more a game where the offense is either comfortable kicking out of the end zone, which they can do at will now, it seems, or they are, and, and the, the receiving team is completely comfortable in 95% of the cases, it seems, not returning the ball from the end zone. So they like getting the ball at the 25-yard line. That the, the fact that both sides are happy with that is probably not a good thing for football. The only way it's a good thing is if you if you really want to take the take the take the uh, kickoff out of the game, and and the big negative thing that's you know additionally it's done is the onside kick is is no longer even really feasible. I don't think with the standing start, it's just too difficult to to get that going. So, you know, it, I wish there was some other way that they would have that they could they could bring back that play to be exciting without you know sacrificing everything they're trying to do in, in the name of safety. All right, well, Ken, I am going to send you this link because it is the NFL punt analytics competition and it's an $80,000 prize money. Sounds fun. So the NFL is going to then evaluate and I guess they're going to declare a winner. So it it's it's interesting. I I don't uh, know, but you're right. It's it's not fun, so they're going to fix it. I'll take a look. All right, let's uh let's focus on the Ravens and um real quick before we look back, one more question looking ahead. What is more exciting for you this weekend, the test of Lamar against the Chiefs or the test of our defense against the Chiefs? Both very exciting. I, I mean, the test of the, of the defense against the Chiefs actually has more long-term implications, I believe, in terms of who the Ravens will face in the playoffs, can they beat quality offenses if they can make it. Of course, in the, in the strictest sense, whether or not they beat the, beat the Chiefs will have an enormous influence on whether or not they make the playoffs. So it's very important that they beat the Chiefs in this game. And they can't look at this as a test-slash-throwaway game. They've got to look at it as a must-win game because you don't win this, then you really have to win at the Chargers in Week 16. So, uh, you know, a lot of things can go wrong uh, if that doesn't work out. Right. So, uh, and who hits the Rams and the Patriots that beat the Chiefs this season, right? That's it? Uh, the Rams is correct, and I don't remember if it was the Patriots or not. Yeah, Patriots beat them forty-three to forty. Then that sounds right. So those are those are two playoff teams. 
So if you, yeah, if the Ravens can get past the uh, Chiefs this weekend, that they're going to be on everyone's radar. Of course, yes. And not just curious about Lamar, but serious contenders. I, I would think the Chiefs would be, the Ravens would suddenly become the team no one wants to face if they go into Arrowhead and their defense does anything that's remotely close to what they did to Atlanta. But if they can control the game, and you know maybe that means giving up 24 points to the Chiefs, and and they and they you know they win 27 24. But if they can control the game defensively against a team like Kansas City, then yeah, they're they're that would be pretty special. I was I was scrolling through the Chiefs' uh, scores this season. The lowest point total that they ever that they've put up is 27 points. Mm-hmm. So if you can hold them to 24, that's impressive. Yeah, that would be impressive. This is the best defense the Chiefs have faced. That's so true. That, so you know it will be a a, a change for them. So uh, you know. They just they just had a, a truly unimpressive win at Oakland. Now it's a road game, but they beat Oakland by seven points, forty to thirty-three. Allowing thirty-three points is is bad. Scoring forty points on Oakland, if you're Kansas City, is not that impressive. Right. You know, it's 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 good, but it's not super impressive. It's not like you know the Ravens scoring forty points on Pittsburgh or something. It's it's. It's 40 points against the worst offense and sorry, the worst defense in football. Right. And it's less exciting. Sure. But they scored 51 against with the Rams. Yes. But that was a no defense game. They scored uh they scored only 37 against the Browns. The Browns have a good defense. All right. How about uh 30 points to the Broncos? Uh-huh. 45 a good 45 to the uh Bengals. 40 <laughs> against the Patriots. 30 against the Jaguars, and uh, 38 against the 49ers, and 42 against the Steelers. Yeah, I so, mean, uh, there's, certainly there's a there's a broad mix of defenses there. The 30 against the Jaguars is not a bad number. Uh, you know, some of the good offensive teams, you at least figure that the those offenses would control the ball more. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, the Chiefs have been consistently an offensive juggernaut this year. If the Ravens can go in there, hold them to 24 win at Arrowhead, which there was a time when the Chiefs never lost in December at Arrowhead. In fact, we went to a game in 2006 there, and I think that the Chiefs had won at the time 18 straight in Arrowhead in December, and the Ravens took care of business there and won 20 to 10. Uh, and then we also went to the game in, in 2010, the, the playoff game, where the Ravens had maybe their best defensive game ever, certainly one of them, and uh, and beat them 30 to 7 with only 39 offensive snaps meaningful offensive snaps for the the chiefs in that game so uh they can be had yeah you know historically they can be had in that ballpark even even december by good defenses right and they're and the chiefs defense is mediocre at best at best so that's that, actually that, quite poor right so that means hopefully the hopefully lamar and the offense can go in and do the same things they did in atlanta and just keep that ball away from patrick mahomes yeah, that's one way to hold them to 24 is just to basically reduce the number of possessions, increase the value of each of those, and then the defense has to has to get some stops. Right. If you're going to put up whatever 52 points like two weeks ago, it's because you had the ball every two minutes. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so let's look at Lamar, and let's look at how he transformed the all- offense uh, from a results perspective. We're not. We're going to have to compare Lamar and Joe. We're not choosing sizes sides we both these guys are quarterbacks we want them both to succeed but right now Lamar's the guy so we're going to compare 
Yeah. So it's it's an important point, and and we don't want to become embroiled in that. And in fact, we're we're going to get to this at the end. But I really believe there's a place for both these quarterbacks in the offense, and I don't really like the idea of both of them being on the field at the same time. But I think there's a lot of situational value to both quarterbacks that we can talk about a little later. But right now, I just want to talk about Lamar, and and we're really comparing the Lamar three games versus the rest of the season nine games where I didn't make an attempt to separate out Lamar's contributions to the first nine games. So we're calling that the Joe slash Lamar offense for the first nine games and then the Lamar offense for the last three. Isn't that the interesting part that we haven't seen this season just a straight Joe game? Week one, Lamar got out on the field with Joe. Yeah, valid point. I mean, so so there were a few, there were a handful of plays certainly in every game where uh, Joe has been on the field with Lamar, and uh, and that you know, as much as you say that Lamar takes away a player that you have to worry about, when particularly when it's Lamar in the shotgun and Joe on the outside, you're really playing ten on eleven. I mean, the, the Ravens haven't right. done anything to make themselves appear dangerous in that situation. We talked we've talked about that a lot in terms of Joe's. Uh, relative position position relative to the line of scrimmage and now what we're seeing from other teams like in Atlanta in terms of the quarterback Matt Ryan when he's when he's on the field with Sanu backing up yes. so he's he's a danger so but, anyway. but but on the other hand Lamar has progressed so much in this past three weeks that him back there is now a lot more dangerous than it was in those first nine weeks yeah because yeah, him on the field is yes. is more dangerous certainly yeah all right, so but let's uh, let's go ahead and comp- and look at Lamar. Basically. Okay, so so let's start. I mean, obviously, the first place people want to start is wins, and I'd encourage people not to do that when you're trying to figure out who's going to be the quarterback going forward. Try and get a little more situational than wins. Obviously, if you want to point Lamar's three and zero, you know, then he's a better quarterback than Tom Brady. Maybe you should start over Tom Brady if because he's three and zero, for instance. There's no denying what Lamar has brought these last three games has been special. It's been critical because Flacco hasn't been around. They had to they had to find a way to win these games. And not only did they win them, they won each of them in a convincing stylistic manner. So it's nice that he's three and zero. You know, we look at how they did it though, and I think that's where you get more impressed by what Lamar's accomplished so far. Right. All right, so let's get outside of wins, and let's look at how he's handling the ball. Um, and how about, like, third down conversions? Okay, well, third down conversions are a great place to start because we've talked a little bit about that, and the, and the, the, the reduction in variance Lamar gives you is really only valuable with the run game if he can actually convert those first third down. So just to explain a while, uh, one more time, and I know people, people hear this podcast and maybe some people are new and whatnot, but uh, defense requires variance to get off the field. They require variance to end drives. Why is that? Well, because average yards per play will always consistently get you first downs unless you're way out of the normal range. So defenses, they need to do several one of several things to get offenses off the field. They need to induce penalties. That's a big one. They need to get strings of incomplete passes, another big one. They need to get turnovers, a huge one, and a, b- a big part of things. They need to get sacks, and they need to get other tackles for loss that that you know set up long yardage situations and allow the kind of variance that allows them to get off the field. So they've got about five different mechanisms they can get there, but they have to find ways to get variance. The offenses that are are good, they get positive yardage on every play. They get they get uh, uh, a low variance and and a, and a decent yards per play. So if they're getting uh, where 
maybe six yards per play might be average across the NFL, and I haven't looked at it recently. But if if they can still get six yards per play with low variance, that's obviously tremendously valuable. If they get slightly better than that and reduce their variance, that's also uh, tremendously valuable. So so we're, we variance is the big thing. So third down conversions, there's something even more valuable about what Lamar does with those. But let's get to the numbers themselves. During this three-game series, in this three-game sequence, they completed eight of 16 third downs, eight of 13 third downs, and seven of 15 third downs in the in the three games. 23 of 44 overall, 52.3%, uh, which is well, well above the league average of, uh, I do not have that in front of me, but well above the league average. With Joe in the first nine games, they converted 45.5% of third downs. So we start with that, and it seems extremely impressive that they would increase by 6.8% the 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 6.8 percentage points right. the amount the, the amount of third downs they would convert. But then we need to take a step back from this. The three defenses that they faced: Cincinnati, Atlanta, are, and Oakland are the three worst statistically in terms of stopping first downs. In fact, in aggregate, those three teams have allowed more than 50% first down conversions for the year. So 52.3 over, slightly over 50% is impressive, but it's not as impressive. It's still an improvement over over what other teams have done against those three teams. Right, but not much. That's like one extra third down. Yeah, it, they should have gotten, I, I did it, 22.25 first downs or third down conversions in, in these games out of 44, and they actually got 23. So it's like three quarters of a first down okay. in these three games. All right. All right. So anyway, the, the other the other thing you can look at is the first nine games. Now, this isn't the Joe offense. This is Joe and Lamar. And in fact, J- Lamar was on the field for a number of these third down attempts. Not, not to mention, it's, it's also a different backfield. It's a it's a different yeah different a lot of things but it's it's uh, you're right so they had 132 third down opportunities converted 60 of them which is an excellent 45.5 percent okay I have the the average for the league is 39.5 percent all right so if you look at that they were converting 45.5 against a league that averages 39.5 now they didn't play well they did play Cincinnati once but they generally speaking did not play the very worst teams in the league as much earlier in the year, but they still significantly improved with that Joe slash Lamar offense in the first nine games on the league average for third down conversions from 45.5 uh, All right. up from 39.5. So, so, so that was, that yeah, was good. That, yeah, that's interesting. So it's, we improved, we did above league average this uh, three games, but really when you look at the whole all season, we've been above the league average. That's right. So, so they've, that, they've, that also speaks well of our line then. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I think the offensive line is a hidden uh, value and, and a strength of this team that, that people, uh, you know, don't often harp on uh, getting a little bit more press nationally. Now that they rolled up over 600 rushing yards, or actually I said 700 rushing yards this last three weeks. But uh, but still, I don't think really appreciated the level of some of the great pass blocking lines out there. And, and they're probably, on a, in all honesty, not as valuable as those great passing lines. But they're still a strength of the team. And you know, it's really another case where we mention it every once in a while. But the, the, the offensive line coaches have done a marvelous job with the talent they've got to, to make you know, some, some very average players 
do some very specific roles that are useful. We'll talk about that in some of the individual offensive line things when we get to that a little bit later on this show. Right. All right. Uh, all right. Well, what about average plays per game? How's that rate? Okay. Well, the average plays per game are up with Jackson, and and in in some ways that's really impressive. I'll give you the the, the big way. So seventy three point seven average plays per game. Now that's a lot. First of all, relative to the rest of the league, they were at seventy one average plays per game with the Flacco slash Jackson offense for the first nine weeks. So they were already doing pretty well in this category uh, in terms of controlling the ball. A lot of that's on the defense, that the defense has created a lot of three and outs and and given them the ball, and then they were sustaining drives. And that was true if you think back about it. No matter which quarterback you love, you can appreciate the fact that the Ravens have had the ball most of this season, which is really nice. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the difference in place per game is actually more valuable with Lamar, and I'll tell you why is that it's translated to fewer plays for the opposition with Lamar. Why? Well, because the 73.7 plays per game with Lamar take significantly longer in terms of time of possession to complete. Okay, so time of possession, where all the other stat, the plays is close, but time of possession is a, is a big increase with Lamar? Right, time of possession is a big increase. And I don't have time of possession, but the opposing plays are way down. So they, you know, they just they just got a 44 snap game, and and I I'm I'm just pointing to it in that the 73.7 plays take a lot longer to go, and so they they reduce the opponent plays terrifically. And not only that, what's what's been great about the Lamar offense is the ability to run even when the opponent knows you're going to run, which is something boy. If when you can do that, you got it. One there is to me, there's nothing better in football than to be able to run for first downs consistently when the other team knows you're going to run, is desperate to stop you, and you know needs the ball back. Well, and, and yeah, I think of, I think of three weeks ago with that opening drive where it was all run in plays. Yeah, oh, it was that exciting. Yeah, and I, I I even look at this last one. You know, they got the ball with 4:12 left after the the uh, Falcons had just scored, and I, you know I'm not I wasn't at a, in fear at that point up 10 that they were going to lose the game. But if the Falcons had converted the two point conversion, I sure as heck would have been. And no problem. Lamar ran out the last Lamar and the rest of the offense ran out the last 4:12 pretty easily, frankly, uh, on the ground. So uh, exciting, exciting completion to uh, uh, to that game in Atlanta. All right. So what about um. How about average yards? That's got to be up as well with more running, right? It, well, now it would typically be down because you run more. You know, de- oh, pack, right. you're not getting run, big run plays. Yeah, are going to go for fewer yards. But in point of fact, the yards per player at five point three six these last three games, and they were only five point one six with the Joe slash Lamar offense the first nine weeks. Now, here's the important thing to look at on this. The last three teams the Ravens have faced averaged allowing 6.3 yards per play for the whole season. Now, that includes, obviously, these Ravens games, but still, uh, they are significantly lower in terms yes. of yards per play. But this gets back to the low-variance element of this. Yes, the Jackson offense has, has produced fewer yards per play relative to expectation, but it's still, because of the low variance, is very valuable. If I go back to the first nine games and the combined offense, they average only 5.16 yards per play, which is not good. But the league average of 5.65, the Ravens actually did a little better relative to the league average in those first nine games. Now, you drill down a little deeper and you're going to see a lot more variance on those first nine games. So so average yards per play doesn't really matter as long as you're 
uh, get time of possessions going up and your uh, third down conversions is going up. Those are the important ones. It doesn't matter if you get a first down throwing the ball on second down or if you run the ball three times and then you get your first down. Yeah, you're you're you definitely yards per play is not that great a measurement. That's that's at the heart of this, and I think people should take that away from this. When you're running to put away a game, you're naturally every decision you make is about increasing your win probability at the expense of everything else. Expected points, expected yards, even expected first downs. And you you really are are giving up something every time you do it. So the Ravens have been in the fortunate position of trying to put away games these last uh, three weeks, and they've done an excellent job of it, and, and that alone would have reduced their expected yards significantly. And by the way, in an NFL game, not uncommon to see that the winning team has a lower yards per play than the um, losing team, particularly in a close game. And it, that parallels very closely the idea that the quarterbacks who throw for 300 yards tend to be losers yeah. much more often than their winners. It, it's, it's, the, it's the run the ball and you win. Yeah, philosophy run, of, yeah, you know you, the, you, the chicken and egg situation again. That, you that once you have the lead, you're running. Um, which let's talk about that and running backs. How does Lamar on the field affect this backfield? I know it's different players, but there's still the running game's completely changed. Yeah, I mean it's it's obviously you know Collins went to IR. They're being a little bit coy about what was exactly the reason. Obviously, he had he had an injury. But it's also a case where they obviously want to maintain uh, Collins for next year. Uh, Collins, whatever you think about him, he didn't have a great year, obviously. But also, he scored a bunch of touchdowns for the Ravens this year. The the main problem is that he just doesn't mesh exactly with the style you get out of Lamar. Is that having two outside runners is not as valuable as having a a, a really good downhill runner like Edwards, and and uh, matched up with Jackson. So, you know, he, he went to IR and it was, he was injury, injury related, but there were other contributing factors, I think, to that. The other guy who's completely dropped out of the picture is Buck Allen. Um, he's a special teams yes. player only. Uh, now he has played six offensive snaps in the last three games. And if you look back at the last Joe game, for example, uh, which was the, the Pittsburgh game, he had 26 snaps in that one. So, you know, they just, They've eliminated him from the offensive right. game plan now in terms of these last three weeks. Well, he used to be that downhill guy, the 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 guy when you're on the goal line to just push it in. They they used yeah. to use Buck in that way, and uh, not not anymore. That position seems to not be needed. Right, it, th- that and as a third down back where he would provide some pass blocking help, and and they really don't use him for that either. You know, they they trust Jackson to roam the pocket. And they, they, you know, they're they're more comfortable putting tight ends on the field, adding an extra blocker on one side or the other on some plays. But it, yes, you're right. I mean, the, the the need for a pass blocking, the need for a, frankly a pass catching back has really completely shifted to Montgomery on those plays as well. So you know, they think I think some of it's they just have a better player in Montgomery. Uh, Allen is a guy who is not going to be around next year. I don't believe it's possible he could be resigned at a at a at a fairly minimal price tag but he's done now he's a ufa after the season uh this being his fourth year and I, I i don't expect him to be back all right um the guys whose stats have gone down i'm assuming has got to be the wide receivers i mean brown's basically disappeared yes i mean we, we're going to go over the stats here real briefly on this so so the four major wide receivers i'm including more in that category we'll start with crabtree because he's had uh, still is getting a, the most targets of anybody. Had 13 targets in three games. Not that that's an acceptable number for Crabtree or any number one receiver in this league. Seven catches, 
64 yards. That works out to 21.3 yards per game. And let's do a little math. Project that over a 300 over over a 162 game season. No, over a 16 game season. It's 341 on an annualized basis. I don't think Michael Crabtree came to Baltimore looking to put up a 341 yard season, no matter what he might have gotten right. in terms of right. uh, you know a postseason uh, run. Uh, we have Willie Sneed. Now Willie Sneed obviously was a favorite target of Joe Flacco's these last three games. He's had 11 targets. Six catches, 69 yards, 23 yards per game, annualizes to 368 yards. Again, not what Mr. Sneed would want. He was complaining about the eight targets for five yards in that first game. He's gotten three targets for one yards, sorry, for eight yards in these last two games. Right. So I don't think he's particularly happy with the situation no. either. They're, they're, they're winning, so none of these guys are going to be vocal. Well, and, and they made the mistake of being vocal after the first game. I think yes. they've learned from their error. Well, <laughs> so, yes, and that was because they got caught on the sideline. Yeah, that's right. Arguing about it. So clearly, in practice, they they were not expecting that. Right. So uh, John Brown, of course, all kinds of yards per catch, exciting receiver during the early part of the season. He also is a guy that I really think could help Jackson in terms of extending his routes. And being in open, being finding an open spot that's not right by the sideline, not the rules-based uh, uh, spot to be, such that Jackson can find an open area on the middle of the field, and, and and Brown could get there on an extended play. He's had 12 targets with two catches these last three games, 48 yards total, 16 yards per game. That's a 256-yard annualized pace. So not what John Brown would have wanted as well. Uh, Chris Moore. Obviously, Sam Cook found him for the 21-yard reception. I'm going to take that one out of there. I yeah, think you'll yeah, understand please. why. He's otherwise had two catches on on two targets for 15 total yards, and that works out to you know obviously five yards per game, 80 yards on an annualized basis. I one really good analyst in Baltimore at Abukari on on Twitter, Michael Crawford. Uh, you know, we'll tell you it's great that Michael Moore, uh, that Chris Moore is trying to find make one good catch per game, but you know he needs to get more opportunities. He had 51 right. plays on the field the other day, and you know he just didn't get targeted. He got targeted once in that game. All right, I'm, go I'm pulling in. A, I'm pulling in a mailbag question early. I'm pulling this ahead. one in now because I, I I love Chris Moore, and I I wish he had more opportunities. And uh, Chelsea got in with a question for the mailbag. Can you talk about why Chris Moore hasn't been utilized more? Obviously, none of the receivers are being used as much in the past three games, but does he not have uh, the more sure hands? I, I, I think sure hands are exactly what Chris Moore has. I've loved his hands starting in camp this year. You know, Crabtree's been a, a dropper. Snead has been a dropper. Uh, Brown runs some deeper routes, which are, which are t typically lower percentage anyway. But, you know, Moore is, might be the best hands guy among the receivers. It's not that. The, the problem is, I think, that I, 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 I'm having difficulty finding the problem, I guess I'm going to say, is that despite the fact that in camp, Jackson had lots of time getting second team reps with Chris Moore. He's paired up with him all the time that makes when sense. Flacco was the number one. Um, despite that fact, they've not found the proper uh, connection during this three-game streak for Jackson. And it seems to me, Chris Moore's been on the field more. One of the things that Chris Moore probably needs to get better at, I'm, I'm going to assume, is finding that open spot on the field 
on an extended route. If he can do that for Lamar, then he'll become the guy Lamar will trust with the football. And he already should trust him. I mean, remember, one of the catch in the first game, the one for 14 yards, the biggest catch he's had uh, you know, in the Lamar era, was a, was a reach back, behind the back, save an interception right. potentially catch where, where, you know, if anything would engender trust, that's it. Anyway, Chris right. Moore, I think it's extended plays. Make those first couple of catches. Make Lamar love you more. And uh, and he, I think he could be the guy. But, uh, I, but anyway. I, yeah, I totally agree. I think that's this whole receiver uh, frustration that they're not getting the ball and stuff. I think the way receivers need to adapt to Lamar is that extended play. And because that's something we're seeing with Lamar is those second oppor- second opportunities, third opportunities. Is it's not just look at the progressions the first time through. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree completely. And and I, I hope I hope they're doing more in practice. And I'd be fairly sure that they are to set up those extended plays because that's a lot of the value Lamar brings you. And if they're not doing it, they're not practicing it. They're probably not taking advantage of it. Right. And I know there's so much that they probably want to practice with Lamar that's different than the way they practice with Joe. Like some of the basic route running, some of the basic play calling in the huddle, all of that. I mean, they've got to be reinforcing that constantly because, you know, I think if I had to look at the way the games are being managed and the way that timeouts are being wasted, that there's been, uh, you know, a lot of that these first three weeks. Although I will say Lamar was better in Atlanta than I expected him to be. I, one of the things I, I, I said in my pregame uh, bold predictions piece on RSR was that I thought that he would have four or more wasted timeouts or other problems at the line of scrimmage. I think they might have had one wasted timeout. They had one delay of game. Uh, but uh, but otherwise, I think not too terrible in terms of how he managed the uh, the offense and kept things kept things moving. Now, you didn't mention tight ends. Joe liked the tight ends. Lamar seems to like the tight ends as well. It just seems that each week it's a different tight end that's clicking with him, whether it's Hurst or Andrews this past week. Yeah, I mean, it, honestly, Hurst has got very little play. I, Hurst did get three receptions, three out of four receptions on targets uh, two weeks ago, I guess it was. But uh, yeah, it's it's honestly, it's been Andrews all along in terms of the guy that well, that's been the he's season. most comfortable. With. Yeah, been, that was the same with Flacco. It was Andrews mostly. That's that's true, and and you can think of him as just another receiver in some sense. So if you look at him, he's one of the big five receivers, and he's the guy they're going to. Uh, yeah, that that would be fine too. And he's he's doing the most to make big plays, including big plays with Yak downfield. Uh, Crabtree's been a possession guy. He hasn't got a lot of yards after the catch. He's still you know had some drops, uh, and and you know Andrews is the guy who's who's made the most big plays in the Jackson period. Right. All right. So here's the question that everyone is arguing about this week, and it's uh, as divisive in Baltimore as politics. So who should play going forward? Well, I think the decision is made for the Kansas City game, and and in a lot of ways, yes. it's it's a it's a good decision. I wish both quarterbacks were healthy for this game because I think it would give the opportunity to use each situationally, and and that's where I am for the season as well. Is I think both make sense. In, in specific situations. We've talked a little bit about this before. I don't think it touches, it hurts to, to touch on it again, but obviously if you get behind in a game and you need to score points quickly, Joe Flacco is your guy. He's the guy who can run the no huddle very easily. And the importance of that is that you can tire down the opposing pass rushers very easily when you, when you need to run it fast. Merlin Olson would tell you there is nothing more tiring than rushing the passer. He used to say that all the time on air. And 
you know, you, you get them on a drive where you where you're running no huddle and they've they, they can't even switch out because you're running so fast and they have to rush on five straight plays. You know, it's very difficult for them to generate any kind of meaningful pass rush. And that's how you can you can get extended drives and, and you know, a, a set of completions that that will uh, uh, you know get you caught up in a game quickly. I don't think Lamar, you know, is nearly it's going to have nearly the ability to make a comeback uh, couple of drives like that. Great drive in that first game against Cincinnati to bring him back from down eight uh, with a key drive, including a two two point conversion that was really nice to see and very clutch. But it's still not a two score comeback yet. He hasn't had one of those to to, to try and overcome. And uh, you know the, the Ravens the rest of the year are going to be facing some better defenses and some better teams right. in general for as long as they play. So I think the, the the need to come back will be there. Um, you know I love Joe on the quarterback sneak. He's much more effective than Lamar with that on on anything and one. Except uh, except how much do you ask Lamar to do a quarterback sneak? Because wouldn't you then just just let him run onto the outside? Well, that's the problem is you're doing the other team a favor when you run to the outside on on anything in one when Flacco's percentage of getting the first down is so high. Okay, good point. Running up the middle, so you you know you're if if you're if you have basically a ninety percent chance, and I think Joe's six for six or seven for seven on quarterback sneaks this year. Right. Um. You know, from from one yard. Uh. You know, I think not only can you think about how do I you know, get a quarterback sneak for from a yard and a half on third down. Yeah. You can start treating it as two down territory. You can do all sorts of fun things, right. but but you're just doing the other team a favor when you when you run to the outside. And I think they've done more of letting Edwards or an inside handoff pick up the first down on third and one. But I still hate the fact that they're out of the shotgun on a lot of those plays. And it that just to me that's that's just doing the defense a favor. It's just giving them an opportunity to get a player like Michael Pierce, it won't be Michael Pierce because he plays for the Ravens, but some other uh, big interior lineman, Grady Jarrett, would have been the risk this week against Atlanta to penetrate the backfield and uh, plug up that play or uh, uh, blow up that play yeah. uh, before it ever gets off. Yeah, I, re- I remember you pointing out the uh, the quarterback sneak and Joe Joe's high percentage. Uh, it must have been a month and a half ago, and it seemed like as soon as you pointed it out, they stopped quarterback sneaks altogether and started yeah. bringing Lamar in on third downs. Right. Well, they, they they came up with a with a crazy rugby formation for the quarterback sneak on fourth and one at the very end of the game. That was the last first down against Atlanta, and they used you know all eleven men basically in the box. No one was out wide, and Atlanta stuffed the entire thing. They stuffed the entire box with eleven defenders, and they could not get it stopped. Like so, that. yeah, that 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 rugby scrum play very impressive. You know, they basically had two tight ends directly behind the guards you know, a yard and a half off the line of scrimmage kind of thing, or just, you know, directly behind the guards. And it looked like they were going to push the guards, and then they actually did try and find defenders to block individually. Uh, and, and Jackson was awarded the first down. You couldn't really tell exactly where the ball was, but uh, but impressive that, that he was at least able to get that. Right. And I like, I love the idea of using both quarterbacks and, I, and, the, and using both of their skill sets. It seems like a deadly combination I question if you can keep both Lamar and Joe happy at the same time, and and if how your line and wide receivers how how it all technically works with basically running two different schemes at the same time in the same game. I don't know how all that works out, but if you can accomplish that, that's a pretty scary offense. Yeah, it's 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 certainly multifaceted. You know, it gives you it gives you a couple different ways to to do business in terms of of how you keep the quarterbacks happy. I don't really care. Honestly, I know. I, re- I know I really you don't care. Don't care. I know you I, don't care, and I don't care. And winning solves everything. Yeah. 
but there's a lot of prima donnas yeah. out on that football yeah. field. Well, winning quiets prima donnas. That's the nice thing about it is that, yes. is that you know if a wide receiver stands up right now and talks about his targets these last three games, you know he would be the biggest jerk, you know, to to his teammates. It's it's just it's it's ridiculous. So so anyway, the the the, the fact if Joe has to accept a role where he plays. 55% of the game, maybe he starts under some circumstances, maybe he doesn't start under other circumstances, and he comes in uh, you know, when the Ravens feel like they want to pass more. An end-of-half drive uh, would be another example where you'd really want Flacco. You have a minute to score, and you have to drive the field. Right. I definitely want Flacco in that situation, not Lamar. Right. So, but you're looking at this, if, I'm, if, I'm, if you're looking at this the same way I am, what you're, looking, you're not saying trick plays. You're saying... This drive is set up for Lamar. This drive is set up for Flacco. That's right. And that means you don't need two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. Yeah, I, I'm, I've never really been a fan of that. Um, you know, they did it as an accommodation to try and get Lamar in the game. I really couldn't even figure out. I can't tell you the reason why you keep Joe on the field unless your idea is you're going to pick up all but one yard with Jackson in there and you want to then sneak Joe. But, I mean, you can just walk – you just run Joe off the field for all he's done in, in terms of those things. They they really needed to get their head out of their butts in terms of how the scheme was set up to make Joe a more dangerous player. Take a look at the play. Matt Ryan is a quarterback, third and one. Sanu came in, and look at what Matt Ryan does and what it does to Humphrey, I think it is, across the line of scrimmage for him. Because Humphrey's frozen in that spot. Right. He can't move because Ryan moved backwards and is looking to accept the football. Humphrey didn't come after Ryan and try and hit him. That's what they, you know, I've heard all this crap about. Maybe that's afraid what they're what they're afraid of with with Flacco. He lined up far off the line of scrimmage, maybe five yards behind the line of scrimmage, and then he stepped back a, a spot or two and was looking to to act like he was going to accept the pass from there. Right, because if you if you come up if if Humphrey came up on Ryan, then they don't throw the ball there, and once he gets to him, he realizes there's no ball. Ryan can still go ahead and still go past him, right? Yeah, Ryan could go he's, past he's him, or, or Sanu could run past him. Right. You know, if 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 they decide to run the football, it's third and one, so you don't know exactly what's going to happen. But but you know, Humphrey had to be had to be cognizant of his of his dual responsibilities there. But he was definitely more focused on Ryan than anybody else who's opposed Flacco has had to be focused on him. Gotcha. All right, then I got a technical question on how this works. So if you bring Lamar in, you send Joe out. Uh, how does the play call on work? Yeah, so so that that is that is the issue is the green dot helmet yes. then would, would would have to transfer or you have to call it, give the play to Lamar, have him run into the huddle and call it, and have no radio helmet on the field for but, one play, which is also okay. Except that you're talking about putting Lamar in for extended drives. Oh, if you put Lamar's got to have two helmets, and and Joe probably only needs to have one. But if you're gonna if or yeah, I don't think you'll ever have Joe in the game if you don't want to be the signal caller right so okay. couldn't so, i mean couldn't you get can you give them both green helmets and just as long as they're not on the field at the same time yes. is it okay yeah that that's okay so they each if okay strangest possible case each has two helmets although i don't think there's a reason for joe to have a second right. one. one one green dot one not and when they when they go into the game and the other quarterback is in they have to not they have to not be uh, both greens on the field at the same time. But when Lamar comes in to take a play over mid-drive from Joe, he comes in with a non-green dot helmet, makes the call, and then uh, uh, maybe runs to the sideline and gets the green dot if he's staying in for more plays. All right. I'm going to take you on a little tangent for a moment. Do you like the green dot? Do you like that, that 
the quarterback has can talk through his headset to the coaches, or do you think you want to go back to before technology? Because um, see, I, I I wonder this in baseball where I feel like the catcher should be able to talk to the pitcher somehow using yeah. technology, and I feel like that would speed up the game. But I also like the idea of you're out on that field and the coach is in, in your ears. It's all on you. I like that yeah. aspect as well. Yeah, it, it'd be interesting. I, I, one of the things that, that they do in broadcasting is they use something called the puff system for people who are responding on the on the set to respond to the director. Right. So they, they, they puff into their microphone. They you know they give two puffs or whatever saying, yes, I'm, I, I understand what you're saying. Or they have one puff saying, I'm taking your, your order. And then... You know, they they have certain signals they can give just by puffing and not making any real noise that would interrupt the the uh, yes. the action on set. You could do something like that like that with catchers calling pitches. You know, you, you first of all the catcher has a headset to the dugout, and then he can puff to the pitcher, right. or maybe maybe both have a have the same thing. You could you call easily, the pitches. Yeah, you could easily talk into your glove or something. Yeah, um, but I I don't know if that I like that idea but i also i love the i also love the idea of no green helmets in football and you're on the field and you gotta you gotta deal with it it's your responsibility yeah that's that i i think that would play against some of the competing philosophies argument from earlier because it means that you're really putting a high value on quarterbacks who can interpret and call their own plays oh you're right so that's then a coach on the field type thing yeah it's you you really would want that so if you've got if if eric weddle you know, skills is on the field as your quarterback or, you know, it, we, to be a more reasonable about it, Brady or Manning or Breeze, you know, some experienced quarterback is able to call his own plays anyway, is able to check into anything, uh, then you got a big advantage. And we already have too many advantages for those players. I want to take some away. Gotcha. That that makes sense. Um, all right. We focused on uh, Lamar a lot. Let's look at the offensive line a little bit, specifically sure. in Atlanta. Sure. Well, let's look back at Atlanta. That certainly was a was a fun game for the offensive line. So, where do you want to start? Uh, Stanley. We all, we always start with Stanley. That's always a good bet, as isn't long it? As he's okay. Playing. Not, another good game for Stanley. And Stanley's on a on a fine run right now. So uh, he got a B in this game. Uh, solid performance. Uh, one pressure. A third of a quarterback hit. A third of a sack. Where it was a, it was actually a fairly complex sack, but he allowed some of the initial pressure. Jared eventually got the sack fumble on the play. Uh, but I split that, ended up splitting that three ways. Uh, his overall score was a, in the low 80s, but uh, adjusted. That's a B at at uh, tackle. It would be a B adjusted or unadjusted. He's on a run now where his last five games, B, A, A, A minus B. So uh, quite a streak. Uh, really has been playing well since week two when he got a D at Cincinnati. Uh, he's only had one C since. So uh, terrific run for Ronnie Stanley. Very much reminiscent of his rookie year, and he's doing it through in- playing through injury. He missed three snaps in this game, got replaced by Illuminor. We'll just talk about him briefly yeah. here. Illuminor has made, made all three blocks in this game. Stylistically, I love what I'm seeing from Jermaine Illuminor. He, he is um, not giving ground in the way you see tackles typically give ground that don't completely trust their feet. And this even goes to Stanley right now. Stanley's got great feet normally. Little banged up right now, and obviously the ankle is a problem. And he got called for an illegal formation play in this game because he was cheating off the line of scrimmage. So he, he actually got called for being in the backfield. Well, anyway, Illuminor, I just haven't seen that same thing. He trusts his feet more, and he jumps out to attack the pass rusher more than Stanley does. Stanley and Brown on the other side 
both give ground to basically beat the speed rush by uh, you know giving more ground and forcing the the uh, the speed rusher to go more wide than he otherwise would. And the goal of that is is what Rick Wagner did for years for the for the Ravens was to beat the guy to the back pylon of the pocket and get him past the quarterback there. And and Wagner had a lot of as I've always said very close to pressure plays where he would just get the guy past past that back pylon behind the quarterback where Joe had a little bit more time to get the ball off. And, and that made him very valuable. Illuminor, it's different. He's he's jumping out. And we're, no, we're only going off three snaps here, but he's now played 86 snaps for the season. He scored .81 at tackle, which is a very solid B in terms of his total contribution for the year. And most of his deductions have been penalties. He's only allowed a half of pressure this year, and he's allowed two penalties for a total of 15 yards. So it's it's really been terrific to watch the way he attacks that opposing edge defender and you know has he played the most imposing edge defenders well you know maybe the best guy he played was Lawson against Cincinnati or you know maybe it was a a, uh, Dupree against Pittsburgh where he played a a lot of snaps Uh, you know he hasn't played the greatest set of edge rushers but it's still been pretty impressive what he's been able to accomplish in in a, a limited snap count you know game and a quarter or a game and a third maybe now that he's that he's played on the season all right um, Lewis, is he hurt or why did he leave early? Uh, you know, I don't know exactly what the problem was. I, I thought I had seen that there was some sort of a shoulder problem that kept him out of practice today. I don't know if that's what happened during the game that forced him to retire early. He was having a very difficult game. So this is a couple in a row where he hasn't, uh, looked particularly good. And, uh, in this game he had a .55 aggregate score. Uh, so three and a half pressures. Uh, a third of a sack, the same sack that, that uh, Stanley got a third of it. Uh, he had a holding penalty, uh, missed three blocks, and that's in only 53 snaps. So it's kind of a, a low total to have all of those events occurring. Uh, adjusted basis, it's still an F and seven points short, .07 short of a passing grade. Uh, he had a D the week before against Oakland. Uh, you know, these are the kind of teams you really probably ought to be doing better about. It's a second F, one D also in the last four games. Maybe the injury is playing a part. I kind of get the feeling we, an injury here, if he does not practice fully for the next couple days, might mean that he loses his starting position, at least for this week at, at Kansas City. All right. Uh, Bozeman's the guy who came in and replaced him? Yeah, Bozeman did. And, and Bozeman had been playing extremely well for the whole year, had a, had a down dip this week. He's only 21 snaps. Kind of unfortunately for him, 20 snaps is the minimum for me to give a grade out. And he'd been having some great, great games where he just missed the snap total. Uh, but, but 21 snaps in this one, and he, and he grades out at a D-plus with two-thirds of a quarterback hits and three misses. Uh, just not a lot of total snaps in order to have those events occur. What's nice about Bozeman's play is that he's still getting a lot of uh, pancakes. He's being very physical. And he's getting blocks in level two. So in a, in a fairly brief outing uh, in this game, he had, let me see if I've got it correct here, he had three pancakes in only 21 snaps, which is terrific, and two blocks in level two. Uh, he missed on a pull when Brown actually pancaked his guy within the pocket. So actually, not within the pocket, but yeah, within the pocket would be accurate, not compromising the quarterback's ability to throw, but but uh, he pancaked a guy. And uh, the play actually went the other way, and on, on uh, Bozeman's uh, just was was had a downed body that he could not get past 
to convert a pull. So uh, nice game for Bozeman uh, uh, in some senses in terms of the physicality, but uh, overall just too much in terms of the events. And I, I compare this to his last the three games he had, Oakland, Cincinnati, and Tennessee. He aggregated to 33 total snaps and made 32 blocks. So he goes 32 for 33 in that and doesn't have a graded score. And then he goes, you know, as a 21-snap game and he gets a D+. plus. On the year, he's a .85 raw score that would grade out to the to the border of a B plus or an A minus for the year to date, and I think it's a big positive. It's one of the guys that I think you know it provides some of the mauling the Ravens want. It's still to be seen if he can if he can really handle zone blocking to be fast enough for that. But from what we've seen in terms of his ability even to line up blocks in level two, I've been excited by Bozeman's play, and he may get his chance this week to be the uh, starter at left guard. All right, that's interesting. Um... Skura continues to impress. Yeah, you know, we've been talking since the, probably the beginning of the year about Matt Skura and the and the risk of him getting replaced. He had a couple yeah. Fs in the games against Cleveland and Tennessee, which were were not good. And and you know, he appeared to be on the verge of losing his job. Uh, then he recovered these last three weeks. A B plus B plus. This game, he he had a third of a sack. Same play. He was blocking Grady Jarrett, who's a one man wrecking crew on that Atlanta line. By far their best defensive lineman. And he was the eventual one to come in and get the strip sack. The pocket had already been compromised a couple different ways. I don't blame Skur entirely, obviously, for that sack, giving him only a third of it. Um, but but it was, you know, he, he was unable to keep the pocket uncompromised. He missed seven blocks in the game. When I look at those, I try and figure out, were they really a lot of level two misses or did he get beat in the line of scrimmage? It was a combination of both. I try to reflect that uh, in the subjective adjustment I give. But... 0.86 on the raw score, 0.05 adjustment. Brings him in at a B-plus at center, one point short of an A-minus. So, uh, you know, it's a very solid game, and that's now three in a row where he's uh, been right there in terms of having a top-shelf performance. And I think any way you cut it, he's the Ravens' center for the rest of the year. I do not see any circumstance other than injury where he loses his job the rest of the way, however long this lasts. Right, yeah, it's, it's too late in the season, and um, he's been doing fine anyway. Uh, Yanda, I guess the highlight for Yanda on Sunday was diving on that fumble. Yeah, well, it was a problem of his own creation. So Yanda had a very tough start in this game. It looked like it was going to be a, a really bad game for Yanda, but he allowed, uh, I think it was Jarrett, yeah, directly to get into the backfield, and it was basically untouched. It wasn't a matter of Yanda, you know, tried to make a block on him. It was Yanda allowed him to, to, to go right by, hammered Edwards, Drilled the ball loose. Uh, I don't remember actually if Jackson or Edwards got the fumble on that play. But uh, in any case, Yanda fortunately fell on the football, preserved the drive, and a couple plays later, Jackson, of course, scored from 13 yards out after after uh, Atlanta had a penalty, give him a fresh set of downs. So it was, it was a fortunate circumstance. But the rest of the game, Yanda was just unbelievably dominant. And I'm going to give you some of the totals here because most of them are league-leading or are team-leading totals uh, for the year, he had seven highlight blocks, and that, did, that has not happened by anybody this year. In fact, it's one of the highest totals of Yanda's career. Um, that was terrific. He had 11 blocks in level two. He delivered three pancakes. It was a great game for pancakes all the way around in this game. He had a tired defense, lots of running, uh, and they just were able to deliver more of these solo pancakes. Uh, they did a lot of of brush by blocking. You'll you'll see on directional run plays where they haven't already decided where they're going uh, or on screen plays, which they don't run nearly as much. But, you know, they'll basically allow a defensive lineman to penetrate. And then you'll just see a quick 
two-handed shove from one lineman. And Yanda got some of these. I think Bozeman might had one of these, and Brown had a couple where he pushed the guy pushed the guy immediately to the ground in so doing. So they'd already kind of decided right. where the play was going, and and they and they get a guy to the ground quickly and out of the play, and then they still have an opportunity to go into level two and make a block after that. So uh, that was interesting to see them do that, and it was the source of a lot of the pancakes in this game. Uh, he only had one half a pressure after that single penetration I mentioned earlier. Uh, his raw score is .89 per play, which would be just sort of an A at guard. A, a, 90 is an A-, minus, but he gets uh, almost the maximum possible adjustment for sub- subjective. I gave him .09 to put him up to .98 for the game. So a fabulous game from Yanda. Uh, his extra credit points in this one with all of the combination blocks he made uh, really – Something we've seen from Yanda for years, you know, I say this every once in a while, I know it's kind of corny, but, you know, he's going to walk to the podium in a yellow jacket, he's going to make a combination block to do it if everything is is going right. And that, uh, it's just a play we've seen him make hundreds of times before right. where he tees up someone in level one. One of the things we don't mention too much about Skura's value is his ability to hold the guy on the back end after Yanda delivers him to him on a platter after Yanda tees him up. That has terrific value. And and my hypothesis is, is that PFF is not giving them a lot of the value of that in their scoring system. And that's why they don't really like what Skur has done as much as I like what Skur has done. But Skur has been valuable in terms of helping with double teams, extremely valuable in picking up the back end of combination blocks, good in moving to level two and finding a block. And a lot of those things I don't think really uh, must not be getting recognized given the way the differential in how I'm scoring Skura and how PFF thinks of him. They, they, they would rate him about 20th in the league, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I don't have the exact position for Skura. Uh, so not particularly great. I, I would say you know he's, he's probably 13th, 14th, 12th in terms of the league in terms of how well he's played at center this year. All right. We're going to get to PFF later today in the mailbag because there's one guy on the Ravens that they really like. But, okay. Um, does having a quarterback like Lamar over Joe give more opportunities for the uh, offensive line to get into that level two? Uh, well, certainly you do more running. So anytime you have more running, you have more opportunity for these mobility blocks to show up. So if you're running 40 or 50 times a game instead okay. of passing 40 or 50 times a game, sure. yes, you definitely have more opportunities for these specialized run blocks. And I take that into account in how much I value a highlight block or a level two block or a combination, you know, various things that they can do on the in the run game of pulls. Uh, in terms of the subjective adjustment, but I, I do think that um, you're, you're right. You, you have more opportunities in, to, to to make these special blocks. And pass blocking is really about all about avoiding uh, the frequency and severity of errors, to minimizing those two things. And it's kind of like fielding percentage. Think of it like that. That you want to be as high as possible. And it really it's all about how many and how bad are those errors. All right. Uh, let's close up the line with Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown, interesting game here because he certainly used his size very effectively. Uh, It was an up-and-down game in terms of some things here. I thought he had a pretty good game in terms of holding off the pass rush. He did allow two full pressures. Uh, I gave him a third of the sack where he really allowed a pressure. Jackson Jackson then ran out of the pocket, and Romo chastised him appropriately for running out of bounds instead of throwing the ball away and losing four yards in the red zone. Uh, now it didn't end up hurting the Ravens, but uh, but that was a play that that was a uh, you know a mistake. And Brown only deserves a pressure on that; he doesn't deserve a, a you know a full sack. So anyway, that that was uh, one play. The bad thing for Brown in this game was the missed blocks. He had 13 missed blocks, which is the highest total for any Raven lineman this year. So he had a lot of game, a lot of plays in this game. 
Lewis had one previous game of 12 missed blocks, but but Browns are are a mix up of things. I'm just going to read these over because I provided the notes in Russell Street report. But generally, when you when you hear about any block missed in level two, the 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 error is not as severe because the guy has moved to level two, hasn't been beaten at the line of scrimmage, which has a chance to cause those negative variance plays that can be either a pressure or a sack or uh, you know, a tackle for loss on a run play, whatever it might be. But in level two, your, your, your errors are less severe. So I'm just going to read these real quickly. He had level two no block. He had shed by 50. That's Brooks Reed, the ex-Texan. That's a bad one. Gave ground to 44 before contract. That's Vic Beasley, uh, and he gave too much ground to him before contact was made on a pass play. Zone no block. That's not too serious. Means he was zoning. He wasn't really had any anybody to put his right arm on and uh, and make a play on. Not too terrible. Lost edge to 50. That's a bad one. Whiffed on 50. That's a bad one. Occurred at the line of scrimmage. Level two no block. Not too terrible. Bailed out of shared pressure with Skura by Jackson Scramble. There's a 14-yard run in there after uh, Brown and Skura each allowed pressure on the play. That's a bad one. Level 2 whiffed on 45. Not good to whiff, but not too terrible when you do it in level 2. Wrong assignment came up on the next one. He triple-teamed Grady Jarrett to the inside on one play, and I really question whether that was the right place for him to be. There was an outside player that did not catch the number on that play who he could have blocked, and it seemed like he might have blocked the wrong guy. Level two, no block. Uh, did not move to level two. Don't like to see it, but again, not that serious. And another level two, no block. So mix of stuff. So obviously, some serious losses at the line of scrimmage, which were could have been more costly had Jackson either not gotten out of them or the run play not going for positive yards or whatever the case may be. Uh, he, he had a pressure in this game, and I don't think I've ever seen this before, where he pancaked a guy right at the feet of Lamar Jackson. Uh, so that was an interesting one. Right. So a minus two despite a pancake. Uh, and, uh, you know, overall, his he had a C game. Uh, he's had six games now as a starter. He's had gotten four Cs, a B, and an A. What I'll say about him is he's been, whether you think of it either way, he's either been consistently inconsistent or inconsistently inconsistent. But what I'm trying to say with either of those phrases is that he's been deficient in a different area in each of his average games. So when he scored a C, you know, one time it was penalties, another time it was pass blocking, another time it was uh, missed blocks like it was in this game. So it's been a lot of different things. And he's shown mobility in some games. He hasn't shown the great mobility in others. Uh, He has a very high football IQ, obviously. He's a guy who comes with a tremendous football pedigree. I would expect him to get this straightened out. And what I'll say about this is what we've seen from, from Orlando Brown at the heights of his play, it's very obvious this guy has the ability to become a very good lineman in this league. So I'm not concerned about that at all. I just I am a little concerned because offensive line uh, play is all about consistency. It's not about you know how you look when you make your blocks and and, and how. Uh, you know, that, that may help in terms of scouting a player or may really not. It's about how often are you able to make that block. Yandas proved it over his entire career, and, and Brown has got to be a little bit more consistent about his actual play on the field and, and get better at doing that. I'm sure he will, uh, and he hasn't had anything you could really call a bad right. game yet. But right, so anyway. you're saying he, yeah, basically he's a young guy that's showing the right flashes that, that he should be okay. Yes. All right, let's get to the MVP segment. This is where you pick out the three guys who did uh, 
really good that they were the MVPs of the game, and I'll give uh, some gold stars to three other guys. Okay, fantastic. So I'm glad you're playing this week. So my number three guy is Jackson. I couldn't give him a higher one on this, even though I think he was very important in the offense, both in terms of making space and in terms of making some plays himself. But the three fumbles weighed against him, so I couldn't put him as as, as one of the top two. But he's number three for me this week. All right, my number three is Tony Romo, because I really enjoyed the him in the booth for this game. I would take that every single Sunday if I could. We get it again for the Chiefs game. That's the cool thing. So it's Romo right. again announcing the game with Jim Nance. Terrific, terrific broadcast team. I agree. Right. There's a reason that's the Super Bowl team. Yeah, that's that's uh, exciting. I didn't. I wasn't sure Romo would be a good broadcaster. And you know, it seemed like they talked about it on Sirius, and 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 it was it was a hasty decision was being made for him to move to the booth. Tremendous, smooth transition, tremendous knowledge of the game, and really conveys it very well. Uh, scolds players appropriately. Doesn't give people unnecessary praise. I love it. My number two guy, Ronnie Stanley in this game, paragon of consistency, almost the biggest paragon of consistency on the Ravens offensive line this entire year, but paragon of consistency since that week two game at Cincinnati, my number two guy. Oh, I thought you were giving it to him for kicking Lamar in the head and letting us see RG3 a little bit. (laughs) Uh, My number two is Chris Moore. For the little bit of play we got him, whenever he's out there, he seems to catch the ball. So, Chris Moore. Exciting play, and uh, love to see him on special teams make that play. I wish, you know, like we said, that he can that he can do more in terms of extending plays and helping Lamar out right. there. My number one guy, uh, Marshall Yanda, another terrific game, one of the real great games of uh, certainly of this year by any Raven lineman, uh, with all the highlight blocks, all the level two blocks, all of the fun you get out of a Marshall Yanda game where they run the ball this much, and uh, and he's really on his game. And uh, yeah, of course. And my number one is Sam Cook because you're not supposed to be that good of a passer, Cook. Uh, to have a perfect record uh, of passes doesn't happen. So, you know, I thought it was pretty cool that Cook's streak got extended and Sanu's career six for six got ended in the same game. Right. And this was a game where both of the kickers were going in with the two longest streaks in NFL history from 50 to 57 yards. Matt Bryant, who's 43 years old, I don't even know if he'll be in the league long enough to try four more kicks from 50 to 57 yards. Possibly he won't be, but but in any case, I, I, I jealously guard that streak for Tucker and hope he's able to continue it further. It would have been bad had he missed a kick from that distance in Atlanta and Bryant, say, made one. Yeah, did I hear, did I, and I might be making this up, but I thought I heard during the game that Tucker has never missed a kick indoors. Uh, it's certainly possible. I mean, like, his percentage is so high, it's probably yeah, right. But Yeah. He said 100, 104 consecutive field goals made that are unblocked from 57 yards in. 104 in a row. Yeah, and impressive. even if you include those, it's 104 out of 110, which is not too shabby either. All right. Let's get to the mailbag. This is where you write in on Twitter using the hashtag film study mailbag. Uh, first one up is from Daniel, and he brings up PFF. And he... I want to share an article that PFF wrote today, just a few hours ago, about Marlon Humphrey saying that he is producing like a top 10 cornerback in 2018, and they're calling him an elite cornerback. Uh, what do you think about the way Marlon Humphrey is playing this year? Yeah, he's, he's, he's playing absolutely marvelous football. And he's as as great as you can be without bringing ball skills directly into the equation. Now, Humphrey hasn't had an interception this year. And he's been clubbing the ball free regularly. It seems like almost every week he uses uses one of his arms to club the ball free. But he's tenacious. So if you get the ball anywhere close uh, to Humphrey, you're at risk 
if you if you can't quickly get to the ground with that football. And uh, he's been remarkable at, at, at doing just that. Last year, by the way, Humphrey was a great player. So I did see another thing on Twitter asking, who's the most improved Raven? I can't give it to Marlon Humphrey. Marlon Humphrey held opposing quarterbacks to, to a rating under 60. It might have been under 50 last season. And I, it's really a, you know, he's having another great year is what I'd say. He's, he's on a terrific career trajectory you know he's a, he's the kind of guy if i think the ravens sign him to a second contract as i expect they will i think there's a good chance he ends up being a ring of honor player all right well let's uh yeah go check out pff and check out that article on humphrey they've got all the stats there to show you that he is uh as good as everyone says uh scott gets in how do you see them using hayden hurst going forward yeah how do they use him going forward they they use so much of Boyle in terms of his value as a blocker. They use him as a pass blocker. They use him as a run blocker. They use him a little bit as a receiver. And obviously one of the failed plays near the goal line was trying to throw him a little fade route when his relative position was just messed up relative to the defender. But uh, anyway, they, they use him so much that it's become harder for Hayden Hurst, who's not at his level as a blocker at this point, to, to get on the field. And Hurst had a limited number of snaps in this last game. I want to say maybe maybe 15, maybe 21, but it was it was a number of snaps that you're, you're thinking, wow, your number one draft pick is only getting on the field just a little bit. And uh, 21 snaps in this last game. So that's 26% of the offensive snaps. So even though he'd had some success the previous week with three catches, uh, you know, he's just, he's not getting a lot of opportunities, obviously. All right. Um, Garnett, I apologize. I don't have your question because it, I cannot see it because uh, you are a protected account. So we will have to get to yours. If uh, Ken, if I'll, Ken can bring I'll it see up. if I can see it. See yeah, if you can bring up Garnett's question because I cannot right now. Yeah, so Garnett's, uh, Garnett is his name, just like the gemstone. He's out in Okinawa. He's defending our country. We really appreciate that for starters. Uh, let me see if I can bring up his comment well, here. But while you're, while you're looking up that, I'll answer the question from Mig who says, what happened to the Know Your Foe episodes? And so, clearly, we, have, we haven't gotten to that lately. Um, and it's because it's, it's holidays, it's travel, it's schedules have been busy, so it's, it's been uh, tougher. I think we will end up coming back to those, but uh, not this week. Hopefully, you just enjoy this extra long episode. You have anything to add to that, Ken? Yeah, I, I do. Um, there, there have been several problems, but the last three weeks in particular, the Ravens have played bad teams. So we have made overtures uh, outside to try and find people. In specific, I thought we had a guy that would do the Raiders. Nobody wants to talk about the Raiders. Nobody, you know, none yes. of the Raiders people really want to talk about the Raiders uh, at this point. So it's harder to get people at this point in the season to talk about their teams if they're losing teams. Um, we had Joe Goodberry on earlier this year. He was terrific to talk about the Bengals, but to have him on as a second time didn't really seem necessary given the the, the Bengals' uh, particular point in the race at that point. Uh, we will get back to this. I wish we had gotten the Chiefs guy on this week because they're happy to talk about their team. Yes. So. You know, we, we would have been good. And I guarantee you we will do it for the playoffs if the Ravens make it to that point. So that'll be a lot of fun. Right. Uh, Did, were I'm you sorry, able to get the Garnett's Gar question up? Yeah, yeah. Garnett's Garnett. question I have. So uh, uh, he says, hey, Ken, what do you think about the empty backfield formation? We used it a couple times before and had very good success. Also, tell Josh I said hello. So he – uh, the Ravens probably run less empty backfield now than they have at any time before. They, they, there's two things – 
that you want to do more with Lamar Jackson. And one is to not have a fullback on the field because it's not as valuable to have a fullback. You, you want to spread the field, uh, get guys outside uh, who, who have other assignments and allow the power running of Edwards to take its toll when you want to run straight ahead. And then you still have the elusiveness of Lamar to get to the outside and beat defenders there if you want to couple that and, and use it. So the other thing is that we will see less empty backfield because you want to be in a position where uh, Lamar has an alternative and also sometimes where Lamar will have a pass blocker. So if you want to extend a play, there's probably more value to having Lamar have an option for a late release and pass blocking in the backfield. So I like 401 as I record it, which is four wide receivers and one running back as a good formation for the Ravens when they when they're looking to pass the ball on a third down. You know, I like any any formation with Lamar where you have two tight ends and one back as well, or even even uh, three wide receivers, one tight end and one back. But the, the thing we're going to see less of the way, the rest of the way is using a fullback. And you saw that this week because Patrick Ricard actually was deactivated for the game. So they made a choice. They went with four running backs and four tight ends, and they deactivated Patrick Ricard, which tells you how they feel about the fullback at this point. All right. Ken, why do you think the Ravens are not getting that many interceptions this year? You know, that is one of the really puzzling things, and I don't have a good answer for this. Who'd that question come from, by the way? Great question. It came from Raven fans and who's. So not okay. a person. Well, I'm That's sure there's okay. a person behind it. Somebody had to answer it. Right. Ask it. So, so anyway, we've, we've talked a little bit about this during the last 480 minutes. So that's eight games now. The Ravens had no interceptions. They, their last interceptions was at Cleveland in week five, uh, and it was in the first 10 minutes. So they played 480 minutes since. No interceptions. They've had 31 passes defensed during that time. And, uh, you know, to go 0 for 31 over any stretch is mind-boggling. Interceptions are, are a subset of passes defense. So you get your hand on the football. Uh, you, you, uh, you should have some better chances than that to get interceptions. Uh, you know, you'd figure there'd just be some good errors that would be set up. Uh, but, but the main problem is the ball's not getting popped in the air enough. To, to create those interception opportunities. And when it is, we've had two embarrassing situations during this streak where touchdowns have been run in off a popped-up ball in the secondary, one, one by McCaffrey that actually went for a touchdown. This last week, the, 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 uh, the tip ball went to Ridley on a volleyball. I don't know how many people touched it before he got the ball, and then he ran for several yards into the end zone. Unfortunately, it was called back by penalty, but, but you know, it was another embarrassing situation where it should have been an interception, and then we could have just, you know, negated the penalty or uh, declined the penalty, I should say, uh, to, to get the football. So zero for 31 is an unbelievable stretch. The Ravens are still among the league leaders in terms of passes defensed for the season. So it's one of these things where it's where it's really odd that they haven't been able to uh, uh, to get more in the way of uh, uh, PDs. They actually are number one in the AFC in terms of passes defense with 66 on the year, and they've only got five interceptions to show for it. So that's a ratio. 13.2 passes defense per interception. All right. I'm going to combine two tweets, one from Minion Hunter, the other from Clock, who are both going down this chicken and egg uh, path. So first one up from Minion. Does the Ravens' unusual running situation, in this case, change the idiom of you don't win because you run, but you run because you win? And Clock, who gets in, uh, wanting to know your opinion on PFF's position that teams in today's NFL will not lose because they cannot stop the run. 
could this be an instance of mistaken correlation for causation? Okay, both excellent questions, by the way, and and they have the good specificity that goes with it because they're 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 not asking. They, they've been specific about how that question is set up. So I want to answer the PFF thing first. PFF is is I think making a broader statement that teams will not lose in general if they have a bad run defense, and they're probably correct. Is that it's it's very hard to. Uh, lose without getting beaten by the pass in general in the NFL. There's a very specific type of team that needs that, that you need to face to do it. And the Ravens are it. And this gets to the other question as well, is that the type of team, you know, the challenges, the idiomatic, uh, uh, what's it, what's the uh, cliche that, that uh, you, you know, a running game can't win by itself. Well, the, the Ravens in 2000 had a running game and a defense. The Ravens of 2003, had a running game, an absolutely awful quarterback, and a defense. And, and in both cases, they had the best defense in the NFL, and, the, and a running game was enough to get them to the playoffs one year and, and through the Super Bowl in another. In 2018, the Ravens have the best defense in the NFL again. They have a running offense now that's piled up 700 yards the last three weeks and is producing the kind of low-variance results that give hope that they could be at that level. I guess what I would, you know, how I would mitigate that so far is that I'm not sure the Ravens have proven that their particular straight ahead runner can be the guy in this offense yet. I think Lamar is, is better than Anthony Wright and better certainly than Trent Dilfer in terms of setting up the run. I think the offensive lines, the 2003 offensive line I would put is the best uh, but this this line is on par with the 2000 offensive line, which was not particularly great. It did have Jonathan Ogden, but it was not particularly great across the line. Um, I, I I think they are, you know, they're set up personnel-wise otherwise to be pretty good, but it's the power runner. They had Jamal Lewis two times before. They have Edwards, and Edwards has done very well against, you know, some, some mediocre defense, but he hasn't been a, a breaker. He hasn't broken one for, you know, 30, 40, 50 yards. I think his long run so far is about – it's between 19 and 22 right. yards. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a consideration for next year's draft is do the Ravens go up with a, a big power running back in the first or second round, somebody who would not normally and probably should not normally be someone you would consider in that, uh, in that place. But because of the Ravens' special set of circumstances, the investment in Lamar, maybe they try and pick that guy up next year who can really give them the shot in the arm in the running game. All right. Uh, Shay, thank you for your question about combining Flacco and Lamar in the same game. I think we already addressed that pretty good in this episode. So I'm going to move on and close out the mailbag with Kid Charmelaine, who wants to ask about Matt uh, Judon and wants to know your thoughts on Matt Judon and how has his improvement really affected the defense this year? Well, you know, obviously he had an amazing three-play sequence in that in that game. I would say overall his play this year hasn't been a huge improvement over last year. I think he's been at more or less a similar level. He's a guy you can trust more in coverage than any of the other outside linebackers, with the possible exception of Bowser. Uh, he he gives you a lot of some value there. That's what the Sam linebacker has to do. He's lost his starting Sam linebacker role to Zazaria Smith, who's getting more snaps now. So he, he really comes in more on those obvious passing downs. He does play some downs as the, um, as the Sam linebacker, but you see more and more that, that Zadarius Smith is starting the games as, as the Sam, and Judon is not getting the start. 
So uh, yeah, I, I think he's you know he's one of the valuable players. And when you look at the at the team they've got, seems to be very unfair to really ask the question, who's the star on this Ravens defense? Because I think there are two two problems with this. One is you don't necessarily need a star when you have eleven consistent players who are all very good. And, you know, I think we do have a star in Marlon Humphrey. I think we have, you know, Terrell Suggs who can provide value like that. I think that, you know, Tony Jefferson is a player who gets the crap beaten out of him, but is but is a very competent player. Uh, you know, you have you have players who can who are really stars, but beyond that, you have tremendous depth. And the other thing you have is a bunch of second and third year players who will still be around next year and still have room for growth. So don't look at this roster and say it's it's you know, star starved. I think they are missing a key defensive player and the, in the uh, key defensive playmaker on defense. But I do think that, that uh, they're pretty well set in terms of talent, generally speaking on defense. I, I think the star coming out of this season on defense, uh, when we look back might be Don Martindale. Yeah, I, I certainly very exciting what he's done with the defense and how he's held the thing together. Uh, you know, the, the part of what's exciting about the Martindale results is these last three weeks and how Lamar's been able to close out the game each time and not let the other team back on the field. So that sure. that's that's terrific in its own right. So if if the defense can make a big play in sometime, you know, to 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 keep the other team out of the end zone, and the Ravens haven't been good about getting turnovers, but they've been pretty decent about about getting the stops they've needed to get when they've needed to get them. Uh, you know, that's given given the offense a chance to close out some games in a way we haven't seen in a while. All right, Ken. Um... All of this stuff is up on Russell Street Report, but also on there you have an article about tiebreakers. But I want to look at this in a more focused way as far as when we're getting ready for the playoffs, when we're looking at kind of in the driver's seat a little bit right now in the Ravens, for the Ravens, way better than we thought they were going to be a few weeks ago. Uh, So who do we root for and root against this weekend? Okay, well, pretty easy, really, in terms of the games we want to to root for. The the, – Triple star game. The one we've got to have is Oakland beating Pittsburgh. Do we think it's going to happen? No. Well, probably not. Uh, I think Connor's out this weekend, right? Maybe. Yeah. So you, you you got that. You you know you can point to some injuries, but you'd have to basically injure about half the Steelers' offense to bring them bring them <laughs> right. down to Oakland's level. True. Oakland played a decent game against uh, against Kansas City, so I'm still hopeful. But anyway, Oakland over Pittsburgh obviously is is one we'd love to have. It would be the win we kind of need to steal. It would mean the Ravens wouldn't necessarily have to beat either the Chargers or the Chiefs to win the division. They could possibly win it without it, but it would be really nice to get a leg up on Pittsburgh if possible. That's the, that's the three-star. Well, that, that's the easy one. We always root against Pittsburgh. Yes, yes, that's the, it is the easy one. So the, the, the two-star game and probably the more important of the two two-star games is San Francisco to beat Denver. Again, another big long shot. Denver's got a very easy schedule the rest of the way. They have... Easy, easy, easy with San Francisco, Oakland, and Cleveland, or maybe San Francisco, Cincinnati, and Cleveland. But it's three. Now they just played Cincinnati. It's San Francisco, Oakland, Cleveland. So they have three very bad teams to play, and then they finish out the game, finish out the year with the Chargers, and that's a that's a big consideration because the Chargers may not be playing for anything in Week 17. So really need to find a way to get Denver a loss because otherwise the Ravens have to get three wins uh, to to make the playoffs. Right, and Denver's also a team that seems to have some injury concerns going into this weekend. Yeah, boy, so a couple. So so uh, Emmanuel Sanders, an Achilles problem, and it, it may be a torn Achilles. I have not heard if that's been made official yet. And uh, their top cornerback, Chris Harris, also lost. So, you know, hopefully that, uh, uh, that, that puts them in a little bit more difficult position, but they certainly have the upper hand, I would think, in these next three weeks. Right. 
Other two-star game, and it's a big one, Houston uh, to beat Indianapolis. Indianapolis loses this game. It'll be their seventh loss. They don't really have any reasonable opportunity to beat the Ravens in a tiebreaker situation at 9-7 and seven if they lose this game. So that ends it uh, for Indianapolis. They could, they could get in through the back door if a bunch of teams end up going 8-8, eight, eight eight, including the Ravens, but I think that's unlikely and certainly the Ravens aren't expecting to get into the playoffs at eight and eight, or at least I'm not considering it yet as a possibility. So uh, uh, I, I don't think that Denver is going to allow it to be a possibility. Sure. So I think Indianapolis is effectively eliminated if they lose that game to Houston and it's their toughest game the remainder of the year. So, so we better hope that that one uh, works out uh, the way we hope. Uh, the other big one is, is the Patriots, at Miami. So, uh, sorry, the Patriots versus Miami. The Patriots need to beat Miami. Uh, Miami, really, if they don't beat the Patriots, they don't have a way to uh, uh, beat the Ravens at 10 and 6. Uh, so that at least would be good. Um, and and uh, at 9 and 7, with their 7th, sorry, they would have their 7th loss if they lose to the Patriots. And, and that would all but eliminate them versus the Ravens. So those are, t- those are the ones we're, we're most serious about. The other games, we, we, of course, want the Jags to take care of Tennessee. Uh, that would be nice. In a, in a kind of a strange way, I think we want the Chargers to beat Cincinnati. I kind of am torn on this way, but we have to have the Chargers playing for something in Week 17. The better way to do that is if they beat Cincinnati and still remain within spitting de- uh, distance of the AFC West lead. So I think that would be better. There are gotcha. three games you can root for if you're really going diving into the scoreboard watching, which have strength of victory, value to the Ravens, the Bills. We want to beat the Jets, the Falcons to beat the Packers, and the Bucks to beat the Saints. All right, you're going deep on that. I'm going to go away with Steelers, Broncos, Colts, Dolphins. We want those guys to lose this weekend. There you go. All right, Ken. Um, uh, for my, my plug today is just go check out Section 336. Good episode this week. What's up for you over at Russell Street? Uh, the usual stuff. So we got a tiebreaker article now every week until the Ravens, I guess, are out of it, uh, where they make the playoffs. Either one uh, will we'll be presenting tiebreaker information. It goes into some depth down to the strength of victory level. I, I, I tend to see more touchy-feely discussions of the other contenders, you know, kind of looking forward to their schedule and kind of predicting their record. This goes into a little bit deeper depth in terms of, of what do the Ravens actually need to do and who do they have the tiebreaker on. Long story short, they have the tiebreaker on just about everybody. They, they have great tiebreaker position uh, against uh, almost every team. So uh, that's that's the great news from the Ravens' perspective, in, including Denver. They need to just make sure they don't lose two games in the standings to Denver and finish at least 9-7, and seven, and they'll be an excellent chance to make the playoffs. All right, Ken. Well, enjoy the rest of your week. I can't wait to watch this game on Sunday, and then we will talk about it on Monday night late like always. Take it easy. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. 
While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.